We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balashevsky says it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. Hello, you exquisite souls and fabulous friends. I'm so honored to be connecting with you here today on Journey to Center. You know, I think the most confusing part of relationships and this human experience is the concept of death. How can someone we love be alive and with us one moment and then be gone the next? And the thing I believe is the most frightening thing for people is the notion that they cease to exist. I personally feel pretty confident that life continues after death, and that gives me comfort and solace. I actually don't even like the word death or dead because it sounds so final. I instead prefer the word transition because I believe as we drop our physical form, we change frequencies, like the tuner on a radio. But how can any of us know for sure what happens when our body shuts down, our heart stops beating, and our brain goes offline? Well, there have been lots of stories and information and conversations from those that have died and come back. Today, we have the great privilege of having with us someone who had a nearly perfect, impeccable near-death experience and perhaps one of the most convincing cases in modern history. And what makes this even more compelling and credible is this man was a devout man of science. We are so fortunate to have with us today Dr. Eben Alexander. He's a renowned academic neurosurgeon and spent over three decades honing his scientific worldview. He was confident he knew how the brain, mind, and consciousness worked. A transcendental near-death experience in which he was driven to the brink of death and spent a week deep in a coma from an inexplicable brain infection changed how he saw everything. It changed everything he thought he knew. Dr. Alexander was shocked to find the hyper-reality of the spiritual realm, which many have reported in their near-death experiences. He has spent the last several years reconciling his rich spiritual experience with contemporary physics and cosmology. Dr. Alexander has since recounted his experience in his New York Times best-selling book, Proof of Heaven. His story offers hope insight and a crucial key to the understanding of reality and human consciousness, as well as how we view spirituality, soul, death, the material, and non-material realm. So, Dr. Alexander, thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. I am really excited. Um, I read your book years ago, read it again, and it's, it's so rich. It's so impressive on so many levels and I would suspect anyone listening would know about you and your backstory but for those who maybe don't can you share a little bit about your background and how this book Proof of Heaven came into being? Okay well I think it's important to point out that uh, I grew up uh, in North Carolina my father was very influential in my life and he was a chairman of a neurosurgical training program so he was very scientific He was also very uh, religious. Uh, I grew up in a Methodist church, and and my dad had a very full uh, knowing of the reality of God and the power of prayer and all that kind of thing. And he tried to instill that in me, along with all that uh, scientific knowledge. Um, And, of course, I grew up in the the 60s and 70s, kind of the heyday of 20th century uh, successes in science and technology. And I always knew that science is the pathway to truth. Now, what my journey showed me very clearly 
uh, and this was the journey that happened in 2008 during my near-death experience. Um, and it showed me very clearly that everything that I thought I'd come to know and appreciate about the relationship of brain-mind consciousness and nature of reality over my 54 years before a coma, uh, all of that with more than 20 years' experience as an academic neurosurgeon, uh, I came to realize that everything I thought was true, uh, I had to call into question, uh, very seriously call into question, and especially that had to do with the very phenomenon of consciousness itself and the relationship of brain and mind. Uh, and what it has done, really, is to put me in line with the most advanced scientific thinking that exists today about the nature of reality, physics, cosmology, uh, you know, what consciousness is and how it interrelates uh, with the physical realm. And that, of course, is kind of a fundamental message of proof of heaven, is, is basically following the tack that I believe all of the scientific, philosophical, theological, and kind of modern human community is following, and that is one to realize that the biggest smoke and mirrors trick of 20th century science was to try and convince us that the physical brain creates consciousness out of you know, the subatomic particles, atoms, molecules, and cells of the brain, and that that's it, that it's all just a, a material, physical existence, and that consciousness itself is, in essence, an illusion or an epiphenomenon of the physical workings of those subatomic particles in the matter of the brain. And that kind of thinking is false. And that is exactly where the current scientific paradigm is taking us, is a realization that uh, our very soul or spirit, our consciousness, is something that exists fundamentally in the universe. And in fact, is what drives all of unfolding uh, physical reality. Uh, and this is a complete uh, 180 degree shift compared to uh, what I thought before and certainly what the conventional scientific community puts out there. But it, it's really amazing when you look at it, and this is only something that became very clear to me after my coma, is uh, how much our conventional science has been fooling everybody. I mean, a smoke and mirrors trick, uh, kind of snake oil salesman beyond uh, the pale uh, of trying to convince us that the material is all that is and that nothing else exists. And that's the exact opposite of what my coma journey showed me very clearly and what millions of other data points in the form of, of millions of other human experiences that involve near-death experiences, shared death experiences, where healthy uh, souls are taken along on the very same journey, uh, past life memories in children, indicative of reincarnation, all the evidence of non-local consciousness like the reality of telepathy, of psychokinesis, um, you know, all these things point to a much deeper understanding of consciousness and what it is and who we are as human beings that far transcends that simplistic, uh, petty and false and barren fiction of physicalist science. And that is where this world is headed now. It's very good news for all of us to leave that paltry fiction of 20th century scientific materialism of, in the rearview mirror as we uh, advance and evolve with all of consciousness. Well, I love what you're saying, and I feel like it's so interesting that you had this experience because you were a devout man of science. And I know the word spirituality wasn't really on your radar prior to your near-death experience, and it seems to be now. And it seems uh, like you're the perfect man to bridge these worlds. 
Well, I would say in some sense that may be the case, but I'm very grateful that there are literally uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of scientists around this world who know enough about brain, mind, and consciousness and about the deep mysteries involved there to know that everything that I point out in Proof of Heaven and the Map of Heaven uh, is about exactly where this world is headed in terms of its knowledge and its worldview of understanding. Mm -hmm. So uh, people often try and credit me with being the big leader in this, but I'm simply a small part of what is a much greater movement uh, in our uh, modern intellectual community and especially in our scientific and philosophical community to move to the next level. Yes. Uh, because that simplistic falsehood of 20th century science, I mean, it, it is so blatant. Uh, in fact, the, the scientific question here, if, you want, if one wants to Google it, it is the hard problem of consciousness. If you Google that, you'll get deep into the hornet's nest uh, of discussion here. But basically that hard problem, I think, is the deepest conundrum known to all of human thought. And it basically puts out there that no neuroscientist on earth or philosopher of mind has even the remotest clue how to try and explain how the physical workings of the brain could give rise to consciousness. And this is not from a lack of trying and a lack of effort. In I'm fact, sorry. the more research we do on the brain, the more we realize it does not create consciousness out of physical matter. Uh, the brain should be looked at more as a reducing valve or filter uh, that limits primordial infinite consciousness down to the tiny little trickle that any uh, incarnate human or sentient being experiences uh, when in physical form in this universe. So we are part of a far grander uh, kind of conscious intelligence that is the, the uh, creator and governor of this realm, as, uh, as uh, Sir James Jeans put it uh, back in the mid-20th century. Uh, this is really a much grander view of, of reality that is coming up on science. But, of course, it takes us out of that little shallow end where, you know, the scientists of the 20th century were paddling around with their little water wings and pretending they were close <laughs> to a theory of everything. And we're now in the deep end of the pool. Oh, I love the deep end of the pool. I say that all the time. Yeah, yes. and, and which is great for all of us. But it's a much bigger challenge because that simplistic kindergarten-level thinking of materialist science, which, uh, you know, of course, is very close to thinking they can have a theory of everything, even though they're, they're not even remotely close to it. Right. But right. they can fool themselves into thinking that because of the simplicity of their model. And, again, it's simple, and it doesn't work. It doesn't fit reality. Right. Uh, and that's why it's so important for people to realize that our modern neuroscience and philosophers of mind, no one in that community has the slightest clue how to uh, come up with a model of how the physical brain gives rise to consciousness. That is the hard problem of consciousness right. in a practical nutshell. Right. And so what I, what I believe and what I hear you saying also is that when we drop our physical form, we don't leave our consciousness behind. In fact, we expand our consciousness. You right. say it, it's, it's going to take you a lifetime to unpack everything you experienced in that week-long coma. It's like there's so much more going on than meets the eye. We don't die. We do kind of go to another frequency. Is that accurate from your perspective? I would say very much. In fact, the biggest shock, I would say, that people encounter uh, is that when their physical brain and body die, their, their awareness is actually released from the shackles of the physical brain. 
that has locked them into that apparent, uh, you know, here and now throughout their lives. Uh, unless there are other ways we'll get into later to get into this through uh, deep meditation. That's why I do the work with sacred acoustics, uh, you know, that I mentioned at the end of Map of Heaven. We can come to know these truths as conscious, sentient beings long before we leave our physical body. But for many of us, the first time we encounter that incredible rush of uh, infinite uh, consciousness is when, when our body dies. And this, of course, is what near-death experiencers for thousands of years have been trying to tell us. I mean, you come to a much higher awareness, uh, encountering souls of departed loved ones, uh, going through life review, where we have to experience any of the residual lessons of our life if we were handing out pain and suffering to others. We have to live through that in the life review, but we do it not only from our own point of view, but we become those other souls to feel the impact of our thoughts and actions uh, as, as a way of teaching and making amends during that life review. And so yes. it's very important to understand how crucial that is. But it's all a much higher awareness, not a lesser awareness. Right. Uh, and that's right. what happens to us when we die. It's kind of exciting. It, it, it's very exciting, but I always have to make a very, very crucial point here to people, and that is all of this uh, existence in our physical incarnations, uh, as much as I talk about it being an illusion and that uh, the the deep reality is that our soul or spirit of consciousness truly exists and then manifests all this uh, in the material world appearing for us. This is the stage on which the drama unfolds. Mm -hmm. And yes, it does have an illusory nature, but it's very important. In fact, I would say the reason this whole universe exists is to support this mechanism of learning and teaching in this realm but then also the growth of our souls and soul groups and of all of humanity, all of life on earth and beyond that occurs through that process of learning and teaching mm -hmm. uh, in these incarnations and then allowing that to guide our development as souls between lives as right. we move forward in this, in this grand lesson of evolution of consciousness. And of course, another part of the puzzle there that should be clear to people is that uh, reincarnation is built into this as a fundamental yes. You I've always felt that. That's the only thing that makes things make sense from my perspective. There, there's no way to make sense of any of this unless one broadens their field of yes. view enough to, to really get what's going on. Yes. And that involves seeing that each and every one of us is far more than just this little birth-to-death physical incarnation. We're yes. part of something much bigger than that. And unless we can really yes. step back and get that tremendous uh, field of view, and we can do that in meditation. That's why... Uh, the book Map of Heaven is really a clarion call to people to get into it. You know, once you realize the physical brain does not create consciousness, but is a reducing valve or filter that allows infinite consciousness to manifest, then you start to see the power of going within your own consciousness and exploring it, getting behind that veil, becoming more familiar with the, the much grander you that is there, the higher soul that you reunite with, when you leave this body, but you can also do through deep meditation. Yes, uh, yes. And that's why I'm such a major fan and proponent. Uh, and that work that I do with sacred acoustics that I mentioned in the appendix to Map of Heaven is all about how individuals can take these tools and use them to participate in this tremendous growth that we are all part of. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of meditation, guided meditation, and, and going into those inner realms to expand our consciousness and awareness. Uh -huh. So, Dr. Alexander, I, I find it kind of interesting 
um, that you're that we will be able to remain our sense of self beyond um, our physical human experience. So you were still you. You were still your soul. Well, this you had is, a particular this, sense of self. Yeah, I would say this is a very important point to get. Uh, there was, uh, you know. Although my near-death experience uh, was a very uh, kind of profound NDE by the standard criteria by which one judges an NDE, I did have some atypical features, the most important of which is the fact that I was amnesic for the life of Eben Alexander during my entire coma journey. And usually that is not the case when you read other NDEs. And it was only over months and years after my NDE that I came to see uh, how important that, uh, that amnesia was. At first, uh, as I was recovering from my illness, I explained that amnesia by saying, well, I knew that my uh, meningitis, my meningoencephalitis had been so severe, my doctors had told me it had been destroying my entire neocortex through all eight lobes of my brain, full thickness destruction. So, um, given that our conventional neuroscience says that all the, your memories reside in the neocortex, uh, to me it made sense that, of course, destruction of my neocortex uh, would also destroy my memories. Now, of course, the deep mystery from the outset was how in the world was that destruction of my neocortex something that actually allowed my conscious awareness to become far greater, much more profound, much more clear, much more crisp and all-encompassing mm -hmm. than any conscious awareness I had ever had in this physical incarnation. Mm -hmm. But that amnesia is a very important thing to point out. And the amnesia, I came to realize much later, was really there for a purpose. It allowed for certain lessons that could have been conveyed in no other means. I had to start out with an empty slate uh, in that realm. And also, uh, as you know from reading the book, my whole experience began in what I call the earthworm eye view, a very primitive course, underground, unresponsive realm. It was very uh, unpleasant in many ways, uh, but since I remembered nothing else as being possible, you know, with that complete amnesia for my life before all my religious concepts, uh, everything about the personal life of Evan Alexander having been deleted completely, um, that empty slate was very important to lay down the lessons that I was to learn, and it was especially important in proving to me that the physical brain does not create conscious awareness at all but in fact is much more reducing valve or filter because that was the big shock was in this beautiful uh, you know, experience that I had, especially when I was rescued from that earthworm eye view by that slowly spinning pure white clear light that also came with a pure musical melody. And that ended up opening like a rip in the fabric of that ugly uh, earthworm eye view and, and led me up into that gateway valley. Uh, that brilliant valley, hyper-real and alive, crisp, sharp, and clear, that was absolutely filled with beautiful uh, life in the form of, of uh, uh, plants, this incredibly rich meadow and uh, uh, blossoms and buds on trees and flowers blooming, butterflies by the millions, colors beyond the rainbow, thousands of souls dancing below, and then the swooping angelic choirs above with more chants and hymns, music that thundered through me like a tidal wave and provided yet other portals to higher and higher realms all the way out to that core realm that I described, which was that pure oneness with the infinitely powerful, divine, all-loving deity at the source of all that is and with that brilliant light of pure love that was there, uh, I believe, to serve as a, a translator, an interpreter for me 
And of course, my awareness and all that in that core realm was with the higher dimensional multiverse and all of infinity and eternity in terms of this physical universe kind of collapsed down into this incredibly complex oversphere as part of the lessons that I was to learn there. But the whole uh, setting was one that was had some atypical features, uh, and that was an important part of that amnesia. Uh, that allowed me to see some of the much deeper lessons, but that only became apparent to me over the months and years after my coma as I was trying to put it all together. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm getting goosebumps as you're explaining this because so much of what you're saying I, I can see and feel and relate to as you're speaking of it. And to me, it sounds like heaven. And you, is heaven a destination? Is heaven a place? Is it, a, is, is it an actual um, concrete reality? Heaven is a much more concrete reality than this physical world that we live in, but it does not exist anywhere in our four-dimensional space-time. That's one of the things people have to realize. This is all about uh, kind of a, uh, a more robust and refreshing way to look at the nature of existence. And certainly of that mind-body uh, relationship. Um, and so heaven is an absolutely real place. But the key thing to understand here is that all of us, as uh, individual souls that are participating in this evolution of consciousness, and really, as I said earlier, individual souls and boundaries itself are artificial. So in essence, you have to see this more as the evolution of all souls cooperating in this evolution of consciousness. Um, and that is, is kind of the deeper understanding. And I would say that, in essence, all of that evolution is taking consciousness and all these individual souls and all of uh, consciousness towards that oneness with the divine. But we do it, again, through multiple incarnations. It makes no sense at all if you try and look at it from the viewpoint of an individual soul or from a small soul group uh, you know, or just some limited number of lifetimes. You really have to take the much bigger view of where all this is headed. But that heaven is an absolutely real place. That oneness with the divine, that infinite bliss and love of purity of that oneness that I describe in the core, uh, I would say in many ways is kind of the ultimate goal. But yes. that we're all participating in this evolution this process, dance. these yes. reincarnations, this beautiful dance. And yes. in fact, it is a lovely drama that is unfolding. But a key part of understanding it for those of us mired down in this human existence is to realize that the hardships and difficulties in life, and certainly as a doctor I'll tell you that includes illness and injury, these are all gifts. They are the stepping stones, the engines that provide uh, the transcendence of our souls. It's how we deal with those hardships, the imperfections that we perceive, that darkness, the apparent evil uh, that surrounds us. It's how we deal with that, how we manifest that unconditional love of the creator for the creation, love ourselves and fully love all fellow beings. That's the surest way of helping in this evolution of consciousness to aid in all of uh, consciousness ascending towards that oneness with the divine. And we each and every one of us are participants in that process. And that is what is so crucial to understand here. So uh, I don't want anyone to believe that you know, suicide is an option because we're meant to be here. We are meant to be doing this. We're meant to be teaching and learning these beautiful lessons of love. And suicide and homicide are never the right answer. Uh, You don't go there to stay. You come back and continue participating in the evolution of consciousness. You can run, but you can't hide. 
you're, yeah, you're you, going to continue. Never, <laughs> I, I sometimes say in my talks, nobody gets out of here dead. That's a very... <laughs> I love that. And that well, resonates. <laughs> yeah, we don't get out of here dead. So don't think you're going to get yourself off the hook with suicide. Not getting away with anything. Yeah. Exactly. And, and it continue. Relationships continue. The dance continue. And I, I love what you say. Our, our job here is to really reach towards divinity. And I feel like that's what I'm doing. I know that's what you're doing. I suspect our listeners are participating in this dance as well. Well, I would say that's what all souls are doing. And uh, I'm often, mm-hmm. often reminded in, in, uh, you know, in my meditation and in my quieter moments that that certainly includes my critics, those who attack me. And there are plenty of people out there. Uh, who try and take me down. I knew that was going to happen before I... That's their problem. You're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. (laughs) Well, you know, the interesting thing is they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, too. There's that, too. I mean, this is a beautiful dance that's going on. And and none of this would be worthwhile if we weren't all learning and growing through the experience. And we all have to be involved in that. And that is why the naysayers are out there. Yeah, well, the... Yes. If I come, come out of the gates with proof of heaven and not hit anybody throwing stones, I would have very serious questions uh, about not being on the right pathway at all. Uh, right. I mean, well, I you fully expect are. To And so, Dr. Alexander, we just have a few, we just like have less than a minute here. How can people get in touch with you, get your books, learn more about this, the meditation and resonance that you're speaking of? Well, they can learn more by going to Eben, that's E-B as in Baker, E-N Alexander dot com. Um, and there's a lot of information there. Certainly they can read the books, Proof of Heaven and the Map of Heaven to get more. Um, and also, as I point out, especially in that appendix to Map of Heaven, meditation is crucial here. And I know that many people out there say, well, I'm too busy. I don't have time to meditate. I've got too much of a monkey mind. But if you go to sacredacoustics.com, uh, there's some guidance there. And if you download the free uh, on meditation and others, listen through headphones, I think you'll find that most people can indeed meditate very deeply. Uh, It's all about quieting the voice in our head because that is not the voice of consciousness at all. Our monkey mind. Much deeper mystery than that. It's the observer within us that observes that voice. And meditation is a way to greatly mature uh, and teach that inner voice, uh, inner observer to far greater knowledge that lies within us all. I love it. I agree with everything you're saying. I'm so excited that I'm getting you back for another show, Dr. Alexander. You are a blessing and a gift, and I'm enjoying our dance as we move forward in this cosmic love affair. So to my listeners, be in touch. Tammy B. Ph.D., check out Dr. Eben Alexander. It's going to help transform your life, expand your vision, and I think that's what we all want. So God bless you onward and upward. And God God bless you, Tammy. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.